Hello everybody, my name is Benjamin Kitchings, and this is part 13 of my deep dive into the Spanish flu. This essentially is part 2 of my look into San Francisco during the 1918 flu epidemic. So, when I left off, when I left off, what I had left off saying was that essentially... Basically, these people, the, the citizenry of San Francisco had essentially co uh, conflated the war with the flu because essentially they had basically thought, we think, uh, that is, we think they thought that this was a weapon of war. It was almost a binary condition in some respects. There, You, you had some people wearing masks after the the war was over with Germany, but basically almost as soon as the war ended, the mass started to come down. The mass, first they came down on the chin, and then they came off entirely. Within a week after the war ended, there were 57 new deaths. But it was almost like they were, essentially like they spoiled the party. The doctors at the time were, were even though they were diagnosed as flu deaths, the doctors at the time were very, very quick to essentially come out and say, well, they had been of the hotel crowd or the apartment crowd. Again, possibly trying to create this as though it was a pandemic among travelers, but also possibly and probably more likely, I think, to sort of try and move it along the established pattern of, well, this happens among non-middle class or non-upper class people. One of the things that makes San Francisco so interesting and frankly also horrifying to, to learn about from an American perspective regarding the Spanish flu is that throughout from 1918 to 1921, there were always these letters and cards and things talking about how you know, so-and-so didn't turn up to work, or we haven't seen nearly as many Japanese people or nearly as many Chinese people. In fact, Chinatown uh, was essentially thought of as basically a ghost town during the Spanish flu. But it's weird because they they didn't put two and two together. They, they didn't think, well, you know, there's a pandemic going on uh, and you got some a ghost town essentially in Chinatown but obviously the Chinese people are their their constitution is very strong and they're they're like they're fighting the flu when obviously modern virologists and modern epidemiologists and historians look at that and say well obviously untold numbers of, of Japanese Americans in in San Francisco uh, perished from the flu and that's a tragedy and that is true. In San Francisco, an untold number of people that just did not bother or were not able to go to the doctor or whatever, or perhaps had the doctor turn them away, simply, you know, were unrecorded as any kind of death, be it cold or flu or, or what have you. The mayor and the local health officials in San Francisco were, were essentially, they were keenly aware of the virus in basically Los Angeles and Stockton and San Diego, and they were keenly aware of some very disturbing numbers. 
But for some reason, and it was either willful ignorance or, or civic chauvinism or lack of medical education by any stretch of a modern standard, but for some reason, they actually thought that the flu would not travel from Southern California and Central California to Northern California. Now, this could have also been because San Francisco appears to be one of the cities where it was apparently popular to think that the dominant Anglo culture simply could not perish from the flu. Now, having said that, there are other fascinating and tantalizing clues that say that not every power that be thought that by any stretch of the imagination. Remember, there was that divorce case involving the Doyle family, which leads historians to wonder, was there sort of this underground, to, to use a horrible analogy, an underground railroad of, of flu information that was traveling across the country in letters and cards because obviously the, the judge in that divorce case was very up on the then modern thinking or I guess a little bit the now modern thinking that really anybody can die of the flu. You, you don't actually have to have, um, you know, common blood or whatever they would have thought if they would have thought anything. But it, it does kind of wonder. And also, there were the doctors after World War I ended in San Francisco were essentially encouraged by the mayor to essentially stop, you know, basically essentially to stop uh, focusing on the flu effort. But not every doctor did that. And that's... So obviously, what we today would think of as common sense or something along those lines essentially prevailed in some circles, though certainly not all. One of the worst things that could have happened to the masking ordinance or any other way to mitigate the flu with 1918 technology was that the flu itself became a joke, and so did the masks. And people started thinking that this was just a way to get people arrested and blah, blah, blah. Gee, I wonder where we've heard that before. Anyway, so this was something that people sort of thought. But also, the mayor and other powers that be were photographed not wearing a mask in public. And an example was made by the paper. And people sort of like, they, I've had enough. And who cares? It's only those people, whoever you thought those people were. Now, that's fascinating. But anyway, so the writing was sort of on the wall. Early December, the dream of a flu-less San Francisco that had been basically a watchword in the fall of 18 was essentially thought to be a... a basically a fantasy, at least by the powers that be. The mayor's wife had taken ill in early December, and he reluctantly began asking people again to wear a mask. By any rational accounting by modern historians and virologists and doctors and etc., the period of time from 
December of 1918 all the way to March of 19 was a horrible time in San Francisco. There were deaths of all sorts of respiratory illnesses were marked down. Seizures were common. There was a basic lack of infrastructure or at least lack of working infrastructure because of things like all of the operators of the phones just about it was sick. There was a serious garbage pile up because a lot of the sanitation workers were sick and those that weren't sick were essentially terrified to touch the garbage. Now is a good time to reiterate something that maybe I've said before. In fact, I know I have, but I'm going to say it again. Nobody really knew how the virus spread. Nobody actually knew how it happened. So really, it was anybody's guess. So if you thought you could get it from the, from the garbage, you weren't going to pick up the garbage. If you thought you could get it through energetic waves across a telephone, you weren't going to pick up the telephone. If you thought you could get it from touching the phone, you weren't going to touch the phone, and, and so on and so on. And also, you had these other people that modern folks like you and I would want to say, well, you know, they were just whatever. And they kind of still thought, well, this is a weapon of war, which the Germans have visited upon us. But here again, and I want to say this, polite society believed at the time that October and November were essentially virus-free in San Francisco for reasons which would basically baffle modern people in 2020 because, of course, we know that this wasn't a weapon of war and we know the Germans didn't basically spread it around any number of what we today would consider crackpot ways that they would have thought the Germans spread it around. And here again is something I need to say again, which is the fact that the average person in the year 2020 is much more intelligent than the average person in the year 1918. Now, this isn't because of uh, brain chemistry or anything of that sort. This is because public education, believe it or not, is better today in 2020 than it was in 1918. And it's been better for a long time. And also, we have this amazing marvel of technology at our fingertips. The pocket supercomputer, otherwise known as the smartphone, which something on the order of 80 or 90% of American adults have today in 2020, which is amazing, when, especially when you consider the, uh, the pandemic-fueled recession that we seem to find ourselves in. 90% of the residents are estimated to have essentially ignored the mayor's essentially pleading to mask up again. And there are lots and lots of, I guess, what you would call today the usual suspects. You had essentially civil libertarians, Christian scientists. You had basically Christians of every stripe. And essentially, it was the same sort of argument you hear today, like the mask is causing me not to breathe or the mask is somehow impeding with the airflow, etc. So in a sense... It's actually sort of heartening to see that this is the same kind of arguments that we're having today. This is not a new argument we're having. It's the same old argument we're having. 
And I think, honestly, I can see it. I really do. Because it wasn't like today where you have, you know, the media and you had basically any kind of media you wanted at your fingertips. Essentially, your notion of the world, unless that underground network of letters and postcards was sort of um, going on, was essentially your street and the next street over and your peers at work and your school friends and all that. And a lot of people didn't really think they had the flu. And a lot of people didn't really know anybody that had the flu. It's only later that virologists and historians go back and look at the numbers of cold deaths and go back and re-examine how the garbage was just sort of piling up and the fact that the phones weren't working and these essentially these backbone services that most people today of a certain circumstance simply choose to ignore simply were breaking down and were not working in San Francisco. It's only when that is taken into account that modern people look at this and say, there must have been this truly stupefying level of death in San Francisco. Fascinating thing, too, about San Francisco was how rare it really was when situated in the American experience with the flu. Most cities in America, the courts ran. Most cities in America, you could still complete a phone call if there was phone wires up, which was very, very new back then. But if there were phone wires up, you could complete a phone call. You, you know, your garbage was going to come and be picked up. But San Francisco was not like that. San Francisco was not like that at all. It had... The court system was stopped. The, you know, the the phone calls weren't being completed. You know, the, it was just really bad. The garbage undoubtedly led to other, you know, deaths because of sanitation. So, and then you add to that what a modern person would have to look at and say, this has to be some level of ignorance. But then maybe I'm judging them too harshly. I don't know. Maybe I'm looking at this with modern eyes and with the eyes of a historian and, and piecing together a narrative. And perhaps the narrative wasn't actually there. I mean, we have to remember that we experience somebody's past differently from how they experience their own present. And what I mean there is that it's really tempting to look at history the way we would look at it, the way you look at it going backwards. But they're not going backwards, are they? They're going forwards. And each one of these people has their own biases and their own backgrounds and their own education levels and their own epistemology of education, which is essentially the lens through which they see the world or their education. So if they're coming at it from a, a 19th century kind of idea set they're gonna see the Spanish flu differently than you or I would. What am I saying here? I'm saying essentially that Americans today have access to more information and we're also better educated on the whole I think. So what this means is that our knowledge base becomes not quite homogenous but homogenous enough that we could 
basically find a lot of really smart people around the corner, so to say. So basically, you weren't going to have a full-on panic. And also, let's, let's bear in mind here that something was going on with these numbers in San Francisco. And I don't exactly know what, because nobody knows what, but something was going on. There were a whole lot of what you'd call cold deaths or essentially, like I said, with Chinatown, there, it was basically deserted, you know, because Chinatown in San Francisco was thought of as one of these places where these people could fortify themselves against the, the flu. So that that's what makes it weird. And a lot of places in America, American basically powers that be thought the immigrants were the ones that could get sick. But in San Francisco, they really didn't. Now, the other thing you need to understand is that there's a great puzzle with San Francisco. And what's interesting about the contemporaneous, I guess, official flu deaths for San Francisco in 1918 and 1919 is that at least the doctors, and I guess therefore the powers that be, essentially had the forethought to also include pneumonia deaths. Because a whole lot of places didn't even bother to do that. The interesting thing about San Francisco is the record, that is the record of actual letters that survive and even contemporaneous accounts of what life was like. So you couldn't complete a phone call a lot of times. Um, you had the garbage was just piling up. You had Chinatown that was believed to be deserted. And paradoxically, you had the Chinese as well as the Japanese people living in San Francisco being lauded as people that were immune to the virus, which was weird because how can you have a de deserted Chinatown and yet also, at least in the minds of the people, I guess the white Anglo elite, you had this, they were praising these people for essentially being so healthy which that sort of turns on its head the idea that, you know, minorities were the people that could mainly get this thing, the Spanish flu of 1918. So the thing that's bizarre is you juxtapose the tales of, like, piling up garbage and these letters that were ping-ponging across, essentially, the country uh, talking about different people to not turning up to work or my boyfriend left me and so-and-so's boyfriend left him and but there's a lot of that right but you juxtapose that with these low death totals from pneumonia and the flu the week ending the 2nd of november 1918 had by far the most official flu deaths of 738 the particularly strange thing about that is that doesn't even match up with what the anecdotal and historical, basically oral historical record is for the temperature on the ground, is, if you will, regarding how San Franciscans of the day thought of the Spanish flu. San Franciscans of the day thought of the Spanish flu in October and November as basically sort of, you know, not even really something to be concerned about. And yet there they were, writing letters home, 
to loved ones back east talking about missing co-workers and, you know, missing boyfriends and things like that. The thing about it's a special case with San Francisco, and I don't know if I've said this yet, but the thing that's really the, the, the main sort of thing that marks San Francisco out from the other American cities is that in 1918 and 1919, San Francisco was still basically a city of transplants. So it, there were people, most of the population was still had relatives that were back east. And like they either were spearheading the, the family's move out west or they were like the family's lone representative. So that a lot of these people, their friends and family, really were back east, and so they would write letters, quite common, um, to their loved ones and stuff back east. So that gives us a pretty rich history uh, for how San Francisco both sort of did and did not deal with the Spanish flu. One of the strange things, or not strange, but one of the strange things, I guess, about these missing people, if you will, is that a lot of them fell in the same demographics, that 20 to 40 demographic that hit the Spanish flu victims so hard. And a lot of also a lot of these people, in addition to the Spanish flu victims, the sanctified Spanish flu victims, that is, a lot of them seem to have come or been adjacent to people that came out of town. Now, that could be a coincidence. But they also seem to fit into service jobs, mostly, like your 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 phone company and your, uh, your trash pickup and things like that. But what, again, what is so strange about San Francisco is, despite the, the relatively low amounts of what we call sanctified flu deaths, there was certainly a lot of people even in the powers that be, that were very well aware, at least to a certain degree, about the flu and about what was going on. Anyway, so this is going to wrap up the second part of the deep dive into San Francisco. I'm having a great day today, and I hope you are as well. I'll see you later. Bye-bye.